The FinTech 5 podcast is sponsored by NTT Data Services. NTT Data Services, a global business and IT innovator, partners with clients to navigate and simplify the modern complexities of business and technology, delivering the insight, solutions, and outcomes that matter most. Basically, they get stuff done. Learn more at nttdataservices.com. Frederick Douglass said, if there's no struggle, there's no progress. This is the FinTech 5, where we talk to those who are struggling to overturn the status quo, making real change, not playing innovation theater or FinTech hype machine. I'm Jason Henricks, and this is the FinTech 5. I'm here with Travis Delaney, co-founder, CEO, and CEO of Push Payments. Welcome to the show, Travis. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. All right. Payments. Payments and innovation payments. For those of us in the industry, it's all over. I think I get like 10 different FinExtra alerts on something else going on in payments. Zelle, blockchain, instant payments. Heaven forbid we open the Pandora's box of cryptocurrency. What's your worldview on payments? And where are we headed? I'm just going to slide my soapbox over. Have at it. <laughs> well, thank you, Jason. You know, it's uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and really... Uh, Truth be known, I'm just a payments geek that's been involved in this world for for well over 25 years, and it's it it is clearly an exciting time in the industry because there's just a lot of stuff going on, a lot of disruption. And I kind of go back to Bitcoin a little bit and blame Bitcoin because it allowed people to think out of the box a little bit and think differently. Hey, is there a better way of doing things? Right, and you know everything is basically about technology. So, you know, part of that worldview is simply an evolution of our digitization. If you look at technology overall, all this is about digitizing um, the manual processes that have been inefficient, that worked for years, but now they're seen as inefficient and error-prone, and many of them are manual. And, you know, working with batch files and things rather than real-time inline messaging. So, you know, the, the future really is kind of interesting because if I'm to paint a future vision that sounds a little bit like Brett or maybe a little bit like uh, some of the other futurists out there, which you know, eventually I think we'll find ourselves in a virtual city uh, in the cloud, you know, which is really businesses interacting together all on the Internet, all inline messaging. Uh, that moves faster, right? You know, that's a little lofty, but but really that's where we're headed. Because when you look at the evolution of, of any industry or any type of technology, it's the convergence of multiple ones come together that really change the game. You know, so when you look at technology and you, know, you think about today, big words like uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, well, that's just algorithms of the past. It's just applied now that we have data. Well, big data was the thing before. So now we have all this data storage. Well, now we can look at that data and analyze it and make decisions off of it. We just never had that before. I have a, a theory that everything is about a layer. If you look at code and you look at systems and you look at development of systems, everything is about a layer, right? It started at a binary layer, then it became an OS and um, then it became interfaces and browsers. You know, then it just kept building on that, you know, mobile and so forth. So 
um, it really distancing the user or the interface with technology that help their daily lives or help bring efficiencies and the technology in between um, is what's driving all that. Now, that's it. now we'll move off the general side a little bit. And, uh, and when you look at things like uh, the payments today, you know, mobile, I've always said mobile and, and the devices we hold are an extension of who we are today, right? I mean, if you look at everybody's phone, it is a behavioral trending of who you are between efficiencies of work to personal things and so forth. So they're really a become an extension of every individual. And so businesses will become very close to that. You know, now it, it a couple of years ago, you know, it was kind of exciting, but um, small businesses run today clearly just by having a mobile phone and they can operate inside or outside of an office environment. And we got into that remote aspect where everybody could move and be more nimble and so forth. So it just continues to evolve like that. So in, in that evolution, I'm curious, I want to get specific around what you do with push payments. We're in the payments layer. I'm going to keep using your layer analogy. Where in the payments layer does push payments live? And what problem have you solved that no one else had? Because there's such a flurry of activity. You know, it isn't even a payment layer. It's like a payment mm-hmm. tsunami. You know, where have you carved out your niche of the problem you're solving? Uh, perfect question. You know, and, and, and it's actually hard for some to see because we spent so many years in educating the consumers and, and creating user interfaces and user experiences uh, that really drive an expectation. But what we haven't done is fix the house. We've created an expectation that is behind the scenes, a bunch of mice are running on wheels and pulling strings. And so you have manual processes, you have files. I mean, look at ACH process, look at the wire process for them. Um, you can look at Swift, you can look at, you can go down the list, right? And there's a reason why Ripple's involved, They're, you know, working to try to compete with Swift. It, it, there's a reason why blockchain and the payment uh, initiatives have come around blockchain and Bitcoin simply because the model doesn't really work anymore. I mean, it was there for a purpose. It was there to manage risk at a point in time. And that risk has deteriorated and sometimes forced down by regulation like Dodd-Frank and then otherwise um, not so much. So what push payments has done is really uh, we're just the beginning of an entire wave. Now, faster payments and real-time instant payments started in Europe some eight years ago, um, simply because their infrastructure didn't exist. This is one time the U.S.'s legacy infrastructure is actually our Achilles heel, so we can't get over that, right? So other countries have passed us in that respect of becoming digitized, ultimately, is what this amounts to. and so. Why should you have to wait for your money and move that around? Now, Venmo and PayPal and companies that are completely virtual, um, even Movin for that matter, you know, banks and challenger banks, neobanks are uh, virtual companies. And they can affect an open to buy or a balance just by changing the number in a database. But try to do it in an account that you don't have access to, right? And so that's what we've done. We've created this bridge between the virtual world in the legacy world of today, for one. Two, we've really been the first to market around 
digitizing the ACH process, right? So ACH process is normally through a central bank, Federal Reserve today, and we've been part of the federal task force. And we were just kind of onto this way before that started, but then we got involved and, and made sure that we were still in line with what the expectations were going to be. So, so really what we're doing is we're fixing our own industry problems. And we offer this to basically to the processors and all the people that need to get the market. They can bring these differentiators to them, to their customers, like instant funding. You know, why should a restaurant that closes up at 2 a.m. that just spends all this money on food take three days to get the, their, their cash receipts? Why does that have to be that way? When if they're going into a weekend, they don't even get the money until maybe five or six days later. Right? So liquidity matters. So in the old, you know, in the old days, banks held on to money because it was a way of making money to float, you know, the the notorious float. But that doesn't exist really anymore. That's not a float issue. It's a risk management issue, which why is there a need for that if you're in a good fund model, which is what we did. Yeah. So you're providing a bridge from the digital world to, I don't even know, it's not not analog, but the old world, the architecture that sits underneath, you know, we're keeping those last cobalt programmers alive because of the mainframe still sitting in the basements of a lot of the financial institutions and the batch processes. How do you actually do that? I mean, you're working with the dinosaurs now. How do you actually affect that, that you can bridge those two worlds? So I have a nickname in this from my previous positions at FIS and so forth, and I was called the plumber. Because I knew where all the pipes ran. And there's a lot of things that are out there that people forgot about that are just there and not being used. And I knew some back doors and so forth. So I started years ago, and I even met with Visa early on in the development OCT. Uh, I knew all the people that 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 basically is what now become MasterCard's money send, um, or Master Send, I should say. And and so you know, I've I've been doing this a long time. Right. So it's really about looking at how can we get from here to there. Right. And so there's a state of the game today and then it'll evolve like any other industry. Right. So we do leverage the card networks, debit networks and closed networks, open loop networks to get to destinations today. The difference is, is we're not single tiered in any one particular solution. We really route based on the customer's needs. Sometimes it's risk, sometimes it's speed, sometimes it's cost, whatever the case may be, right? could be least cost routing for that matter. So it's really about a traffic management system of digital data. Um, it's not only the funds movement, but it's also data, which is really what 2022 is about, the API economy, all those things is what we support today. So we really, in the end, we built a revolutionary platform that is built for the new millennial because it will allow for bank interface with corporates and corporates to interface with banks. It will allow for movement of funds and settlement. It allows for all these things and all those things have been taken into consideration. Yeah. It's interesting you use the analogy of traffic management, not one that's often applied when you think about payments. And you know, when we talk about routing, you know, back to your layers, we tend to stay within a layer. ACH stays within ACH. It hits an account and that's the only spot that we actually 
use the traffic change. So it's interesting you're doing that dynamically. You know, before we run out of time, I have a couple other questions. One of those, you know, does revolve around traffic because I know we were a little bit late starting because Fort Lauderdale down where you are, traffic was pretty heavy today. It's not known as the mecca of fintech down there. How does it work being outside of a large fintech hub? Does it work for you? Does it work against you? Well, the first misnomer is uh, South Florida actually used to be a very strong fintech before fintech was a word. Uh, first data was here. Amex's corporate offices here. There's large uh, Visa Latin America um, presence here and MasterCard for that matter. So all the guys are really here. Just people don't think of it as that way. It is not a startup community. Miami is more of that. Um, so there is a challenge from a startup perspective and an entrepreneur standpoint. It doesn't have this, you know, the same as Silicon Valley and so forth. Uh, it, it is not affected as too bad um, simply because I had a lot of relationships in the industry. And so the ones that have moved to California, you know, still have that relationship. Otherwise, um, I, I do get the question kind of like I've had um, investor organizations mainly going, well, that's interesting. Fort Lauderdale, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'll come visit in January. I need, I need to diversify my portfolio. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. So we're in the rapid fire. Short answer. Three quick questions. Most overhyped part of FinTech. Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I, I'll say blockchain in the payment sector. Um, blockchain, I'm very familiar, very aware, a very good technology, has a lot of application in so many places. It's just not in instant payments. It takes too much energy to push it. Got it. Most underrated part of FinTech. You can't answer blockchain right after you said blockchain is the most overrated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, no, I would say that, I would say that the understanding how um, all the pieces really come together. Everybody tends to pick up one piece, whether it be Zelf or P2P or whether it be AI. Uh, but it's really about um, the overall story, right? So what we've become is everybody's out like a microservice and everybody's creating their own little thin microservices. Um, but um, what's yet to be done um, is, is really bringing those together. Great. Last one. Biggest pet peeve. Huh. Um, fakers, um, uh, fake, yeah, we call it fake news if you want, but it's, it's really the ones that overuse, um, words that are catchphrases or things that catch people's attention just to manipulate eyes and clicks and thought. Um, it confuses the market. It, it, it doesn't, it's not truthful. Well, on our next episode, we'll talk about straight through processing in the cloud using the blockchain and big data with AI. There you go. That, there you go. I, th I think I hit all the buzzwords there at that one. Declare bingo. Thank you very much, Travis, for uh, being on the show. As always, great chatting with you. Look forward to seeing uh, push payments continue to do great things. Thank you so much, Jason.